Welcome to the Legacy of John Williams podcast. I'm your host, Maurizio Caschetto. My guest today is acclaimed American composer, Kevin Putz. Kevin Putz is one of the most original and creative voices among American contemporary classical composers. Winner of numerous awards, he has composed many works, and his catalogue includes four symphonies, several different concertos, three operas, choral music, and many pieces for chamber groups and soloists. His works have been performed by such acclaimed musicians as Yo-Yo Ma, Renee Fleming, Dame Evelyn Glennie, and major orchestras around the world. In 2012, Kevin won the Pulitzer Prize for the opera Silent Night, a major work that was saluted as one of the most important operas ever written by an American composer. Kevin Putz is very rich, colorful, with a great emotional spectrum. His works have often been described as cinematic. Kevin has always recognized John Williams as one of his major influences since he was a young kid. In this conversation, Kevin talks about how much the music of John Williams played a huge part in his musical upbringing and how it affected him emotionally. He also talks about his creative process, the cinematic quality of his own music, and the similarities between opera and film music. Today I'm very glad to have here uh, as my guest on the Legacy of John Williams podcast uh, a great composer uh, from United States, uh, Kevin Putz. Hello, Kevin, and thank you for being here with me today. 
Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. You are one of the most prominent uh, contemporary classical composers working uh, internationally from the United States. Uh, you join a rank of very, very fine composer who really struck a great success with audiences uh, internationally in the last 20 years, more or less. And you, are, you certainly have an impressive classical career. But before starting to talk about uh, your inspirations and, and especially your, you know, what the music of John Williams means to you, um, I'd love to, to start with a little bit of background information about your formation and your studies. So when did you decide to be uh, a classical composer? Well, you know, I started uh, uh, with, you know, music just because we had a piano in the house um, that my my mother inherited from her, her mother. And um, so, you know, I think my first experiences with music were uh, on the piano playing by ear. You know, my parents would play recordings of uh, uh, Beethoven symphonies and Dvorak and other things. Um, but... Uh, at the same time, I was going to, you know, movies and um, seeing, you know, the Star Wars movies. And yeah, the music uh, I heard in those films had a huge impact. And and it was so fleeting, I remember, because, you know, back then it took a long time for the recording to come out. So we had to like remember all the, in two hours, I would have to like let this sink in and then I would go home and try to play it on the piano. Um, and it was always a kind of elusive because I couldn't get it right. You know, I didn't have a sophisticated enough ear or or understanding of of, of music theory, I guess, to understand what what was going on in those film scores. Um, and so I would it was always frustrating because I, I couldn't quite get it right. Um, and but but uh, you know, playing by ear, not only trying to play things back that I heard and kind of try to make the piano sound orchestral was was definitely part of my upbringing. Um, uh, but also improvising, you know, just making up music. And for the most part, uh, that was music that was uh, pretty orchestral in nature, I would, I would say, and uh, cinematic. I mean, you know, I would sometimes just make up, like my brother would be running around with, you know, Star Wars blasters, and I was <laughs> trying to make up music to go with it. Um, so anyway, uh, that was, and then I began piano lessons uh, when I was eight or so, and it, it, it was very frustrating. You know, it just wasn't, it was hard for me. I had, you know, all kinds of bad habits, and the music was so kind of, you know, simple as it needs to be when you're beginning to learn an instrument, mm -hmm. but it just, it was hard for me to, to stay with it. Um, and I didn't really get serious about practicing and playing the piano until I was in high school. Um, and uh, I had written a few pieces. Um, I had a teacher growing up in this small town in Michigan where I grew up, Alma, Michigan, mm -hmm. uh, a teacher who heard me improvising before a lesson. And, and she asked me what I was doing. And I said, oh, I'm just making it up. And she didn't realize that I did that. And so she started um, giving me little assignments, you know, like, for next week, why don't you write a piece that's called this or that? And um, so that was the beginning for me of um, notation, you know, and trying to record my ideas on, on paper. Um, so, uh, and I would say one other really formative experience um, in uh, eighth grade, um, 
I had just seen the movie Amadeus and I wanted to, and I was, so I was, and so I was crazy about Mozart as well at that time. And I, I had the idea to write a piano concerto. <laughs> um, I mean, a very kind of like, it was, you know, I didn't really know what that meant exactly. Um, but I had a this incredible band director. He was, you know, the eighth grade band director, just one of those teachers that you meet once in a lifetime and sort of an unsung hero, you know, just an incredible yeah. guy, you know, and he he said, all right, let's do it. Let's, I'm going to, I'm going to orchestrate this for you and we're going to play it, you know, perform it. And, and we did it, you know, we saw the whole thing through a three movement concerto um, with eighth grade band of a very small, basically farming town <laughs> in Michigan, played playing a, in a gymnasium with, you know, he had a spotlight and everything. It was just, it was so, but it was, you know, one of those things that I, I, and he's, he's not doing well. I should, I should say he's, he's, uh, he's having a lot of health problems in, in the last year, but, mm. you know, I don't think I'd be a composer. I don't think I'd be here without that experience. Mm. And, and so you were around 14. So about, about, I guess that's about right. 13, what was 13, 14? Yeah. Something like that. And so basically that was the moment where you can say you decided that you want to be a composer. No, I, I, it was a very kind of nebulous concept to me. I mean, you know, I wanted to be a musician. You know, okay. I wanted to play the piano. I wanted to, I guess I wanted to write music, but as far as like, what does that mean? What is a classical composer as opposed to a film composer? How does a classical composer make a living? I really had no idea. And growing up in this town, you know, I had no, no access to a lot of the programs that I see now I'm living uh, outside of New York city. And there's so, so many programs for high school, you know, students to, yeah. to, to, you know, to work with the New York Philharmonic or all these incredible organizations. So they can, they can learn, um, you know, they can understand what a career as a composer might look like uh, before they go to a college program or something. So mm -hmm. I, I went to, to college, I went to the Eastman School of Music and I studied piano and composition. And I, I guess I, I, I had more success um, as a composer um, during those years, um, though I spent more time playing the piano. Uh, and something about it, I, even though I, I really was very green, I mean, I, I wasn't one of the, I, I don't know, I, I just think I wasn't a real standout um, necessarily uh, during my undergraduate uh, years, but um, there was something about the mystery of it all that, yeah kind of drew me in and, and it's still it's still you know i'm still fascinated by it the unknown and you know what yeah. the possibilities of, of a piece that's unwritten you know I'm not a musician, but 
we are more or less around the same generation. I am maybe just a few years younger than you, but but you are part of that generation, uh, like myself, that was exposed uh, uh, to a lot of orchestral and symphonic music, mainly through movies, you know, Hollywood yeah. films while we were young kids. So, and especially the late 1970s, early 1980s, mm -hmm. uh, that saw that resurgence of the great classical symphonic score in films, mainly thanks to John Williams. So as you were saying before, you, you were a kid when the, these big movies like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Superman, E.T. Mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. being released. And so, and we know how much John's music was crucial to the success of those films and how lasting that legacy is still today. And so what do you remember when you realized that all these works were coming from the same person, the same composer. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, I thought that, well, I guess he, he writes the music for every movie. Because <laughs> these are the only movies I was seeing. And, yeah. and, uh, and um, I couldn't imagine a film without John Williams writing the score. Um, but yeah, they, they really did have, have such an impact on me. And they were intensely powerful and emotional for me. I remember... I mean, of course, there were those first films, the Star Wars movies, and um, you know, I, I already talked about trying to trying to recreate what I heard in those films on the piano. You know, after seeing them coming home and sort of feeling like I couldn't quite work it out. And now, actually, I figured out what it is. You know, now, now I have a better sense of of what he was doing and how his voice emerged. Uh, uh, and I can recreate it much more easily, but we can go into that later. But I just remember one particular experience that it's always stays in my mind. We had just gone, my whole family um, had gone to see E.T. Um, at the local theater. I guess I was 12, but you know, I, I went home and I, I, I mean, the whole movie, I was trying to keep it together. I was so on the verge of tears. And of course I didn't want to show that. And I remember, you know, driving home completely silent and stoic. And then as soon as we got home, we got into the kitchen, I just lost it. I just started crying uncontrollably. And I think my family was kind of shocked by it. I was just kind of like, I, I mean, I think they maybe knew I was a person who feels things strongly, but I mm -hmm. mean, I think it kind of was, they were taken aback by it. And, and my, where my dad said, oh, this, did the story get to you or something? And I said, I, and I remember saying through this, really, I was like heaving sobs. I, mean, I was really, I just had been holding it in for the whole two hours. But I said, no, it, it was the, I said it was the music. I just couldn't handle the music. I mean, toward that, that last scene of the last stretch of, I don't know, 12 or so minutes was just so, I, 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 it's unfair how powerful it is, you know, um, and how it tracks the, you know, exactly um, the the kind of emotional contour of that scene with Elliot, you know, having saved this this alien's life, you know, to have to say goodbye to him and his mother there, and I mean, it was just it, it was just too much, um, and the music uh, is just un, un, indescribably beautiful. Um, and it still has the same impact on me today that it did then.
I think that last, you know, reel from it till 10, 15 minutes or less, it's, it goes through a really huge emotional um, arc. Um, yeah. You know, how the, 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 the sequence and the story is constructed, of course, is a huge element in giving the music that kind of shape. But at the same time, I think the music informs the, the, the scene and the movie. And it's very well known and documented that Steven Spielberg actually re-edited the sequence yes. to keep pace with the music. Mm -hmm. And that, that is a, something that doesn't happen very often. And probably that was one of the elements as to why we feel so strongly when we watch and listen to that scene with that music, because it really feels like a, it's really like an opera. That what you just mentioned, which is well documented, is, is it's a true collaboration. You know, um, it's like the music is equally important. It really is operatic. Um, and you know, just thinking about remembering the music in my head right now as we as we talk about it. You know, what John Williams can do better than any composer I've ever known is to capture these minute variations in and emotion and the complexity of that situation, you know, where there's something that the tenderness of that moment when, and the finality of it, you know, yeah. that Elliot has to finally, he knew this moment would come, you know, and, and he has to say goodbye. I'm getting emotional <laughs> just thinking about it. <laughs> embarrassing. Anyway. No, it's, it's fine. It happens to me all the time. <laughs>
there's that sense of the, this is the moment, you know, and a sort of far, and also a kind of far awayness to the music too, like that captures the, well, the whole situation, the, yes. the six million light years away, like it's all there in this one, and crystallized in these, in these, in these phrases and in this harmony, and it's it's uncanny. I mean, his his skill in doing that. If you think about how the movie begins with that flute solo line that the call, really yeah, yeah, yeah it hints yeah, the yeah. theme and it's something very 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 quiet very very mysterious but even beautiful and and very simple and if you think how it ends yeah and with the same thing yeah the same yeah. thing but orchestrated with a huge you know richard strauss like and yeah. also the timpani totally yeah, a, <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's a it's, symphony i mean it's, yeah. a, it's like a yeah it's a journey i mean it really is What do you think are the key elements or qualities uh, of John Williams' music that strike you the most? Are there any staples or stylistic traits that you find particularly inspiring? I mean, I guess that when you started becoming a fully-fledged composer, you started probably to look also at the scores or at least the yeah. ones that are available. Uh, the, his published score for a closer look at orchestration and mm -hmm. harmonies. Yeah. So what are the elements that strike you the most? Well, I think what's what's really interesting about his voice, and this is what I couldn't quite define as, the, as a young, as a kid trying to play this music on the piano, is that I didn't really understand um, jazz harmony. And I feel like what's so interesting about his voice, and of course all these critics, you know, like to talk about, well, it sounds like Prokofiev, it sounds like Howard Hanson, it's, you know, and it's just like kind of obvious, um, you know, anyway, but, but that's kind of how the, 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 the 
the tradition of film scoring worked. You know, a director yes. will say, "Can he, I want it to sound like this or that," and it's it's very much just about the music functioning in a certain way. But all that aside, he I feel like he he has this really interesting voice, which is the kind of approach to maybe the piano that a jazz pianist would have, mm-hmm. where the harmonies are in the left hand and they're always and they're sort of in a, in a seventh you know seventh chords and various inversions moving kind of very elegantly from one harmony to the next in a very satisfying contrapuntal style the melodies above it and then the bass lines below it but all of that filtered through his 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 knowledge and his understanding of big symphonic music yes. you know from the 19th century into the into the 20th century um so that's what it is to me. It's that kind of the combination of those two things that, that gives him his his such remarkable voice. say that my harmonic language is is influenced by mm-hmm. by John Williams music I it's kind of inescapable but it's just such a part of who I am and who I've always been as a musician um that I I I try you know not to be too close to it and you were talking about studying scores and I have looked at some of his scores um mainly often mainly for orchestration um because it's um always so dazzling and kind of perfect and clear you know everything is clear and um and so I've, I've looked from that point of view but you know as a composer I I never try to get you know too close to any one composer because it's kind of like pointless you know like <laughs> why should I you know I should follow my own not, not just from my own um uh, technique but mm-hmm. well actually I guess technique you know like my, my approach to composing um, it needs to be my own and yes. I need to sort of continue down that path. Yeah. Um, so I, but I, yes, I, I have studied some, I've studied the scores from the Empire Strikes Back and ET and some of these fanfares that, you know, for the Olympics and those oh, kinds yes. of things, um, which are, are, I just have a soft spot for those, you know, the four minute fanfare that he just, again, just captures, you know, the essence of what we all would like America to be at least, <laughs> you know, like what we, it's, it's an ideal it. version, yes. It's an idealized version, yeah, but it is, it, it's a dream, it's a dream.
but it sounds so sincere. I mean, it's yeah. not like he's putting together these things like just like because he has to, you know, to sound grand and big and and you know and ceremonial, which is, of course is also part of the job because those are where. Mm -hmm mostly commissions you know he was writing yeah. that kind of ceremonial music for these huge events like you know the rededication of the statue of liberty yeah or mm -hmm. the olympics in, mm -hmm. in los angeles it was 84 i guess and then also in atlanta 96 uh, but it's so sincere what you hear is exactly what he he's feeling it's not like he's you know cheating no <laughs> with, no with, with, with uh, his music yeah, and, and you really can't, you know, as a composer, you, you can't, I mean, you can't, you can't fake it. Um, somebody was saying, I think it was a pianist named Jonathan Biss was, was giving a, a series of lectures and recitals about Beethoven. And he mm -hmm. was saying something about this music is the way it is because of Beethoven's personality, you know, and I yes. thought that was a really interesting way to think about it. And I think the same of, of John Williams music, you know, he's someone who, he has a big heart and he has uh, an optimistic view of, of humanity as a whole, I imagine. Just hearing, yes. you know, there's, there's nothing cynical. Um, I think he, he's a, he has humility and he's smarter than anyone. <laughs> you know, that's another thing that, that makes his music. Somebody, another anecdote was that I read there was some website about, you know, like, uh, how to be a film composer or something like that. Okay. Whoever was giving the advice said, you know, don't try to be like John Williams because he's a hundred times smarter than you are. <laughs> Just try to find some interesting kind of little area, little niche, you know, that you might occupy and do something kind of different. Um, mm -hmm. But it's true that, you know, to write music um, that is so sincere and direct and in, in a language that we all know, yes, it, you know, is very hard and you have to do, you have to do it with, such uh, a heightened uh, understanding of of every aspect of it, you know, of yes. harmony, of voice leading, of melody, and the relationship between melody and harmony, and all the variations that harmony can can be, um, and and of course orchestration. I mean, all of that, you know, and pacing, you know, it's all it's all so important. And one little thing out of place, and it doesn't it doesn't work.
have such respect for because I try to do it myself. You know, it's also, I think my music is kind of hard to pin down. It's because I do have a lot of interests. Yes. I mean, I, I do it, like quite genuinely am interested in a lot of music that's happening all around the world. And a lot of it's not as accessible, uh, if that's the right word, um, as the music we're talking about today. Yes. Um, but when I'm, when I'm in a, in writing a piece that I feel needs to be very clear and transparent and, and the materials quite simple, I am first of all happiest, but I also find it the most difficult, you know, and I'm, yes. I, and I'm the, the slowest because every little decision is so important. Um, and the music feeling like it's right or wrong in my own estimation is constantly changing as I re-examine it from day to day. <laughs> so it's a, it's, it's a really, it's, it's, and I've, I've heard that John Williams does the same, you know, he'll write a melody and he'll, in fact, he might've said this when I, I met him really briefly at Tanglewood when I was a student, he was talking to the, the students. And I think he said something like that, that he'll write a melody and then he'll like, well, what if I switch these two notes around? What if I reverse these two? So there's a lot of tinkering. It's not just like, you know, Mozart writing out, you know, an entire concerto in one day or Just something. flowing out of the of his yeah. mind, of, of his hand, we can say even. Yeah, well, know. I mean, he says that, but it may, <laughs> it may very well be that, I mean, you know, it's pretty easy for him. No, but, but I was thinking that uh, of another interview that he did uh, about the fact that for him, writing is rewriting, really. I mean, it's to arrive at the, at the final uh, piece. It's really a process of like sculpting, you know. You have to carve out the the, the rock, the statue yeah, is yeah. within the rock, and you have to peel away strap after strap to, yeah. to arrive at the at the core point. And they, they, this is something he's really well versed on. But at the same time, I guess it's also a lot of work. It's not like just it's something that just you know it's a click that that switch. No, there's no there's there's for me anyway. There's there's no formula either. You know, and and the moment in the moment when. Uh, the process begins um, can be very unpredictable. The beginning of a piece or the idea for a piece, uh, it can be in the middle of something else. You know, I can be doing something very mundane and then I'll think about some project that I have to write and I'll just be feeling in the moment mm -hmm. that that I can, I can, I'm inspired enough or I'm in the right frame of mind, I guess the, the right emotional place to come up with the beginning of it. And so I kind of have to capture it in that moment. And it's, so it's a kind of moving target and, and it's it's elusive. Um, but yeah, once that idea is there, the beginning that 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 leads you into the rest of the music, it is very much a, a, a sense of chiseling things away and kind of like you sense that the piece is there. It already exists. You know, it exists there and you have to find it, you know, and it's like, oh, that no, that's not it. That's actually not it. That's not the piece. It's almost the piece. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of work. It, it depends also how much a self-critical one is. <laughs> well, that's can... the other. That's the, that's another great point because you know you can't be so self-critical that you're just paralyzed. I mean, that's, yes. at some point you have to say this is this is you know this is I'm going to put this out there. So.
you are part of a generation of American composers who really grew up uh, and aren't afraid to count John Williams, but also film music, I say in general, among their some of their various influences and a huge part of your cultural musical heritage. So, and I'm thinking, of course, about uh, uh, Jennifer Higdon or mm -hmm. Michael Turkey or mm -hmm. Andrew Norman, James Macmillan, and, you know, a series of very, very fine composers. And so do you think it's now completely acceptable to write music for the concert hall that comes back to that source of inspiration as well? I think it's, it, it just depends on who you ask. I mean, I think it's, it's acceptable. And if you have the courage to do it, understanding that most of your colleagues will, will sort of snicker at what you're doing behind your back, or they'll <laughs> outright feel rage about it. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, but it's still really difficult, you know, mm. I think to, to, to do it. There's still a sense that, you know, contemporary concert music um, should be uh, a certain way, you know, um, kind of, uh, and and it's and it's basically not cinematic and it's it's not anchored in tonality um, and it's usually not melodic in, in the sense that we think that these film scores are so um, you know you have to kind of do it at your own peril I mean you know um, but for me I guess I've just gotten to a place uh, well I've, I guess I've always felt this way that it's my musical impulses are are so strong there's really not a question, you know, for me about, you know, should I do it or not? I just sort of have to, you know, for me, um, music is mainly emotional. I mean, my, my relationship with music um, from a very young age, as I've, as I've already said, um, was intensely emotional. Yes. And so the music that I write has to come from the same place and has to kind of live in the same, uh, you know, emotional space for me. Um, it, it's just, I, there, I can't really do it any other way. I think that not much in the, of course, in during the last year because of this uh, situation we are we are living through globally. But film music is now becoming a staple in concert hall because it really is, it's really keeping orchestras alive yeah. in most of the countries. Because you know I, I'm thinking of course of these large, uh, big live to picture concerts that are they mm -hmm. they are very popular right now, and I don't know if that format is maybe the best to 
understand the potential and, and, the, and the beauty also of the greatest film music, but it's doing a lot. I think that if we can bring a new generation of people and get accustomed to the orchestra like it happened, you know, to you or to me, and, and then getting them more excited in different type of, of classical music or symphonic music, if we could say, even contemporary repertoire, it's, it's really a plus, even if out of 100 people, even if just one or two are making that step uh, forward, it, it's a success in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I think you're, you're right. And I think, well, for one thing, I love the orchestra. To me, the orchestra is one of the great inventions of, of you know, human history. I mean, it, it is, it's an incredible um, kind of, well, what it means, like the, the metaphor for all these different voices as one, I mean, it's coming together. It, yes. It's it's amazing. And yeah, if, 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 if it's the connection to film that draws uh, people to the concert hall, maybe they'll go, go to another concert, they'll hear music that's just about the music, you know, like a Prokofiev symphony or a, yes. something else, uh, or as you said, like a Jennifer Higdon piece. You know, there, there's a lot to discover in the sense that we can probably uh, bring more people closer to the concert hall or building maybe more daring or more creative programs. I think that everything has to change. I think the presentation of it has to change yes. and and the feel of the concert hall. But this 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 idea of like a, a concert opener and then a concerto, you know, and then an intermission and then a big symphony is just, it's so tired. And <laughs> I mean, I think I really though, I think you're, you're right. There, there probably needs to be a visual element because that's where everything is going. You know, it's, there's YouTube is just, is, is everything it seems. Um, and it seems like all my colleagues, you know, when they have a new piece, it's a, a film of that piece. It's not just the audio. So I, yeah, I think, I think orchestras could really, I, I mean, I think actually programs were, a lot more varied, like like two hundred years ago, weren't they? I mean, I you know, than they are now. Um, but but I, but I think you're right. You know, it could be something that's really unpredictable, like um, mm, and yeah. maybe more of more of the sense that the entire evening is more seamless, and mm. one thing leads to the next, like without even applause, like but a real a real kind of spectacle.
as you said in several interviews, your music contains this big storytelling element mm -hmm. that is so important for you, a strong and powerful sense of, of narrative and storytelling. Even, even the works that aren't necessarily programmatic, uh, so I'm thinking about your the flute concerto or your symphony number no. two, uh, so they have a specific narrative quality. So w would you dare to call your music uh, cinematic in this way in this yeah sense. I, I think so I think so I, I don't have any problem with that I mean that was kind of I suppose for some composers uh, who are working today or in, in the last 40 years or so that was sort of a dirty word but um, <laughs> I, I've no, I, I don't have any any issue with it I mean I think film is is a huge part of, of my upbringing um, and actually a very smart uh, colleague of mine once said that he thought my music was not influenced by film music as it as it is by film, like film itself, you yes. know, like the sort of the, the rhythm of, of a film, you know, the, the changing scenes of a film, the pace of a film. And I think that's really astute and I, I, and I totally buy it. Um, you know, yeah, like you said, I mean, a lot of my music, like the flute concerto or the, you know, second symphony, you can't really trace to a specific composer, but it does have yes. a kind of storytelling, um, you know, element to it. And I think that just, how I how I work. Um, I often talk to my students about the process of composing and you know how should how should it work? You know, should you plan the entire piece out, kind of the architecture of the piece before you begin? Should you have certain markers that you're trying to, to hit along the way? And I don't have a formula, I don't have an answer for that, except to say that for me. I need to not know where the where the piece is going. I need to start somewhere, mm -hmm. and then feel that I'm telling a story, and and that I'm discovering it for myself along the way, and that maybe my sense of discovery will uh, be somewhat uh, a reflection of what the audience's sense of discovery will be as the piece progresses. And so, if I'm not excited about getting to some place. You know, then I don't see how anyone else listening to it would be. And so, you know, for me, it is about telling a story, and it's a story that I don't know the end of, and I don't know the result of. And like you said, um, that 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 as uh, John Williams had had put, um, it's like a sculpture that you know exists, and you have to, yes. you know, start chiseling away until you understand what it is.
I'm thinking about uh, some of your other pieces like uh, um, Network or Millennium Cannons, which was written for the Boston Pops. Am I right? That one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that this is a nice uh, John Williams connection. That yeah, that's right. Here. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so but these brilliant, really brilliant pieces uh, really provoke a strong sense of excitement and sh um, showmanship even. I mean, it's they're fun. I mean, you're not afraid to write music that's really gets a sense of fun in the audience. So, uh, and I say this because I hear a lot of joy and enthusiasm in your in your music. There is always this wonderful sense of lyrical quality that distinguishes these works, um, and also, you know, in the sense of writing virtuosic music for 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 the instruments. So, did you aim at creating a real sense of joy? With this composition yeah i i suppose so you know um it's funny like i i just don't i don't when you mention those works or i think about the symphonies i've done or operas i've done i'm kind of not a very um diligent i'm not a very organized composer because i haven't <laughs> said okay this is who i am <laughs> this is who i'm gonna be and everything else you have to just shut it out because this is who i want people to think of when they think yes. of my music I've, I've never been that way. I've always been, you know, sort of, well, I, I've got my, my, my predilection for like the, the American fanfare or whatever, you know, there's the Aaron Copeland and John yes. Williams and, and I love those pieces. And so I want to write a piece like that. And I also like um, long tragic symphonies and, you know, I like to operate in different places and maybe not do the same thing too many times, but yeah, I would say in those pieces like millennium cannons, um, I remember when I wrote that piece, it was just a, a joy, just the experience of composing it was because I was doing kind of every like harmonic uh, modulatory sort of trick in the book that I love, you know, mm -hmm. that like all the things that I love when I just improvise on the piano um, are pretty much in that piece. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yes, I was also trying to write uh, something celebratory and um, uh, something that amazing players in that orchestra would, would play well. Mm -hmm. As I was saying, your music escapes uh, easy labeling because your composition really are very diverse. But at the same time, we can find a, a personal voice, a distinguished voice in it. So uh, we have the orchestral symphonic compositions that are very colorful and dense. And on the other side, we have uh, you know, your chamber music that, that shows a very intimate side, but also very powerful. So how much the music that you write is a vessel for your own personal feelings mm -hmm. and thoughts. I mean, I, I know this is a very broad question, but yeah. if you can try to pin down your your ideas in music, is this also because you want you want to express the distinct feelings in it? Mm. I never really um, see it that way when I'm working on it. You know, I don't. I, I'm not aware of um, making my own emotions known or kind of like channeling them through through music um it, that may happen um there's for me it's just uh, with every piece of music um a sense of uh doing what the music needs it's it's a kind of a sense of listening uh, deep listening and um and responding to you know what i think the music you know needs to do and i'm sure during that process i'm accessing all kinds of all kinds of things i've felt and am currently feeling and or have felt in the past and still hold on to um i'm sure that all of that is is right there on the surface and um i i would say just not to get too you know 
kind of personal about things, but that um, I, I think I come off to people as a kind of, you know, not a very, you know, sort of basically an optimistic person and, you know, friendly, but I, I, I would say I'm, I'm not very simple. I'm, <laughs> there's a, way more complicated than, than uh, is the people who really know me could say. And so I think maybe that maybe accounts for um, the, the breadth of uh, expression um, and the kind of different kinds of pieces that I've written. Um, that they're all, they all feel part of me though. What I like in your music uh, is the fact that there is also this uh, sense of simplicity that I always find, even when you're working on very elaborately um, complex uh, pieces. Uh, but there is, I, I think, you know, of course, of the flute concerto, because mm. of course there is this uh, nod to Mozart, which of course is the, probably the epitome of grace and lightness and simplicity yeah. in music. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's very, you know, it's something that is very hard to, to achieve. So how, yeah. how, mu how much is difficult to achieve simplicity uh, <laughs> when writing music? It's it's hard to it's hard to to achieve simplicity and not make it sound, you know, ridiculous and mm -hmm. you know and just simple simplistic. That's the, yes. that's, the that's the difference. Um, uh, but yeah, the writing that flute concerto was uh, was a real pleasure. That's one of those pieces that I really felt invested in. Um, you, you know, the entire process.
thinking also about uh, the fact that a lot of your music has, uh, you know, we can find a multitude of, of sources of inspirations for, for many of your pieces. I mean, there's poetry that you use, letters, uh, imaginary stories like that piece called Inspiring Beethoven, uh, literature, historical fact, even even pop music. You you wrote an entire symphony based on uh, an album of Bjork. Bjork yeah, yeah. yeah. So how crucial are these external sources to ignite your creative process and your musical imagination? Yeah, I think I like to, I like to to hold on to something like that. You know, while I'm at least beginning a piece, you know, to start with something external that I've either, you know, felt uh, some emotional response to something either that happened to me or to even to happen to someone else is there an empathetic response to, to something that is happening in the world. Um, or like, as you, yeah, as you said, that that Bjork uh, Vespertine album just had a huge impact on it. I thought I still find it so beautiful. And um, so I wanted to just, I don't know, make some kind of reflection of that album through my own voice. Um, so that that was what was needed at, at the at the moment. Um, I was I, I was just thinking about this what you were saying about the simplicity and even when things are complex, there's a kind of simplicity. And I I think that what's really important to me is that you know that my intentions are kind of unmistakable, like in the music that I want it to be clear what I'm trying to do, and um, I don't want it to be a sort of uh, halfway in, in any sense. So if I want to do something, I want to do it with conviction and um, make sort of all the parameters of the music um, uh, contribute to that, to that uh, you know, sense of conviction, even when things are, are complex. I want there to be a sort of a logic to it. Like, well, this moment is happening because it was set up here and this is the same material, but now it's, it's different. I want not only for me, uh, is that an ideal? But I want the audience to to understand that. I, actually, I do. I do want to be understood uh, when I'm composing. Speaking of, of storytelling and cinematic music, uh, I'd love to touch briefly upon your, you know, the work that brought you also to win the coveted Pulitzer Prize. And I'm talking about your opera, Silent Night. I mean, it, it's a truly a major work of the contemporary opera and also contemporary music, I should say. The starting point of that opera is a libretto based on a story that also inspired a movie, which was mm -hmm. called Joyeux Noël. And, and the story itself is very exciting and gripping, like a great movie. Uh, so do you think your background information in this sense as a composer who grew up listening to movie music and was something that crept in 
in somehow while you were writing that piece? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, that was such a kind of thrilling, daunting, terrifying process, you know, to, to have someone say, would you like to write a major, you know, like a huge opera with tons of characters and a chorus and a, a huge orchestra? And uh, of course I said I would, <laughs> I would do it, but <laughs> but I had I'd done very little vocal music and um, no opera. And I don't even, I wouldn't even say I know opera that well. So it was scary, but as soon as I got the libretto from Mark Campbell, um, in the mail, I actually sent it in the mail. I was, I don't know if we would do that these days. When was that, <laughs> 2010, 2009? Um, anyway, I put it on the piano and I started playing and I just was immediately um, thrilled and, 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 and excited in a way, I, you know, like in a creative sense that I hadn't really experienced in, in a long time. And I, and I did feel like um, I was scoring for film. You know, I was gonna tell this story that was a concrete story, not an imaginary story, but like, this is what's going to happen on the stage. Mm -hmm. And how do you bring that to life in, in music? How do you comment on that with music? Um, and I felt, yes, that that my, just like, so who I, who I am as a composer um, had kind of led to that moment um, where I could, I could finally do it in a, in a much more, overt way, you know, that um, there actually is a real story with real characters. Um, they might not be speaking the lines, they're singing the lines, but yes. it was very similar to, I imagine, what, what film scoring um, must be like. Um, and I have not written a film score, um, but I, I hope that I will. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to ask, actually. Yeah. Did, did you ever try to, to actively pursue writing no. a movie score? I have not. And, you know, people say, you know, that my music has that sort of cinematic quality, but I'm not sure uh, that that necessarily translates to my being a good film composer. Yes. I, mean, I think it's a very different, you're, you're very much more in a little box, like this yes. needs to happen in this amount of time. And at this, at, you know, 45 <laughs> seconds, this, you know, um, and the director is saying all these things about, you know, should... I would like it to be more insert adjective, you know, um, yeah. at these moments. And I, whereas as, as a composer, I have such freedom. You are, you are both the composer and the director. At the same exactly. Time. So, which is so yeah. interesting being that that's, what's so interesting about writing opera is that you yes. are the director and you are, you're the one saying to the, to the actors, what if you took a little more time before you said that line? Let's try it that way. And, and you, but you, that's built into the notation and the rhythm, which is so interesting. And yeah, if I'm not sure if I, if I, if I weren't the director, if I would be as good at it, but I would like to do it. I, I feel that it's time for me to do it. And, <laughs> and maybe the reason I haven't pursued it is just because the opportunities, um, for concert music and operas have just continued to come my way. And I've always been interested in doing them. You know, it's like hard to say no to some of, you know, these, these amazing artists and the opportunities all, they almost, almost always seems enticing to me.
I'm thinking about the fact that it's often said that uh, film music is the opera of today and, and, and even the classical music of today. But if I have to be completely honest with you, I think that I find more music that would be an amazing film score in current concert hall music than in contemporary film score. Oh. I think that the film score of today is probably something that is very different. You know, it's much more toward the atmospheric or the ambience mm -hmm. of creating a soundscape that mm -hmm. blends well also with, with the sound effects and so on. You know, there is so much good music written for movies still today. And don't, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to put all of that into a box uh, of negativity, but I think that, uh, you know, what, what is what directors and producers want today from composers is something very different that probably was than when John Williams was writing Star Wars or Superman or or even smaller scores like I mean Schindler's List or mm -hmm. The Accidental Tourist or things like right, that. Right. So uh, I see that the opportunity that Concert Hall today offered, and, and this is to relate also to what you said before, I mean, Concert Hall today has to found a new audience and find new ways of presenting music and find a way to build new exciting programs and put visual elements. So probably there is mm -hmm. a really something great uh, waiting for, for composers, in my opinion, much more than to write for a big Hollywood movie that, where you probably has to, you know, to comply to a set of rules that are very, very strict. Yeah, opinion. it just could be, you know, just sort of what's in fashion and in, in, in film right now, you know, yes. and, and uh, when a director has a certain sound and, and, in, in their head, uh, you know, it's, um, it's hard to change that, you know, yes. and, and it might, might be a, a sense of feeling of wanting to be kind of current and fresh. And, you know, this is the sound now and the, the, the old orchestral, the big, you know, you know, romantic orchestral score is just sort of passe now. Um, that very well could be. Um, but, uh, you know, these things kind of shift and it certainly things shift in, in my world, you know, the mm -hmm. world of contemporary music. Uh, you know, there, when I was um, getting sort of going as a composer in my early 20s, the music that was, you know, kind of the most, the hottest composers were writing pretty, like you mentioned, Michael Torkey and Aaron J. Kernis, they were writing really beautiful, uh, beautiful things for me anyway, either romantic or vibrant and colorful. Yes. And, um, you know, some of those early orchestral pieces that, that Michael wrote. Um, and so I thought, oh, this is what I want to do. And John Adams at that time, I loved his, oh my gosh, all those, the chairman dances and those pieces had such a huge impact on me. And so that's the music that's, that got me into wanting to be a composer, learning how to do that. And I think we're in a different place now. Um, you know, yet you just have to kind of keep doing what you're doing. And um, I think the you have to embrace the relationships with performers because that's really you know where composers are nothing without them. And so you know, yes, I, I find performers and conductors aren't really concerned about all those those issues like the kind of where are we right now in music and what's hot. They're just like they just respond with their their intuition with their ears. Yes, and that's probably what keeps, I think, uh, also the composers very, uh, you know, on the edge in some ways, because I guess that's, it's not like you have to stick to a very mm, strict set of rules. You can be really free. Of course, there are limitations, but those are uh, 
probably limitation that you put on yourself when you're writing. Let's say you have to write a, uh, a piece that lasts for 20 or 25 minutes, and that's your basic limitation. But for the rest, you are free to to roam in, yeah. in many ways. It's uh, it's it's overwhelming and kind of some for some kind of you know crippling because the the possibilities are so endless and 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 you you do have to kind of search for who you are as a as a composer and that is not an easy thing when you're getting all of this all of this um, stimulus, you know, from all these different sources, from your colleagues, from, uh, you know, your, your people who don't know anything about music, and then you have your music played at a concert, and non-specialists are suddenly listening for the first time, and there's so much, uh, so much input, and you have your teachers' voices in your ears, you know, I mean, it's really, it's really tough, you know, to, to get through that, and to emerge as, as a composer that uh, uh, has a unique voice, it's hard. Back to John Williams. I mean, I, I, I put him together with Leonard Bernstein. He was a uh -huh. completely different kind of musician, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But the, the way that Bernstein was able to pull young people uh, into loving orchestral music through his series in the 1950s, the Young People's Concerts, and also offering a new outlet and, and discovering the, the repertoire of Mahler, so a new generation of listeners. And uh -huh. I mean, John Williams did something very similar in, in, in his own unique way, of course, and mainly through film, you know, the vehicle of film. But but it's something that probably puts him together with, with Lenny in many ways. That's a really that's a really interesting comparison. I think the what the the the, the commonality there would be this their their generosity. I mean yes. there's a certain uh, with Bernstein just as his personality from everything I understand about him was just embracing and just you know wanted to you know, just uh, reach out to people and communicate. It's just this desperate, this deeply strong need to communicate. And I think for for uh, John Williams, 
it's not so much about that, but it's it's about his um, wanting simply to to create what these films need, mm -hmm. um, and then that um, has just ignited the the imagination, the ears, and the heart of so many young musicians. Um, I, I think uh, his impact is enormous, and it's international. And what makes the music so powerful is that it's just so well made, so well crafted. There is just no substitute for, for that, for for the understanding of every element that makes music great, and that that uh, John Williams is able to, you know, sort of um, his music comes through that that craft, and um, and you can hear it in the music. Um, even when things are, are very, uh, very simple. And even in the moments in the films that you think, well, this isn't the big moment that everyone cares about with the sweeping melody. Um, there's just this, the, the understanding and the control of, of harmony, um, of rhythm, orchestration, pitch, texture. It's all, it's all uh, so intricately, uh, embedded in the, in the in the film so yes yeah. it's a delicate balance really yeah it's something that really has to be very much in his control and that is it's amazing how he still does it i mean it's he's almost 90 and he <laughs> and he wrote nearly a two hours ago for the last star wars movie I, it was yeah. really amazing i mean it's so many so much music i mean uh, yeah. really keeping and pushing it away i don't know how he does it i don't either <laughs> your life as a teacher also because I know you that you also teach influenced your your creative life and if and how that impacted your your creative life you know um what's amazing about teaching is that my students many of them anyway um are are so uh, aware of all that's going on in music so often they they bring in things because they're just constantly you know hearing about pieces almost out of a kind of collegial sort of competitiveness almost you know that they love <laughs> do you know do you know this composer oh yeah i know that composer so they know all this music that i in my sort of old-fashioned ways you know i sort of I, I tend to stick to the composers i know and 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 so it's really interesting just to hear everything that's going on and they play that music for me and it and it, it does it sometimes it filters into what i'm working on and um and also just i love you know when i have students who are really interested in and 
you know, they, they, they're working hard, they're writing lots of music and they have lots of questions. Um, just talking and sort of making concrete some of the things that I, I think I've, I think I believe in, you know, mm -hmm. as a composer, just saying them out loud um, sometimes really helps my own process, you know, that um, just to sort of put it into words, um, it can help my own work. Um, but, uh, you know, in general, I think, you know, composing is a very lonely endeavor a lot of the time. And um, it's, it's really nice to, it's nice to talk to the students. And even if it's over Zoom, which is, which is how I, I'm teaching these days um, through, through Zoom lessons. Um, which actually work actually pretty well for composition lessons because we can, you know, share share the screen. We can we can go to YouTube and listen to a piece. Uh, we can put a score on the screen. It works pretty well. Mm -hmm. And also, do you have plans to when, of course, it will be possible uh, to to record more of your music? Because one of the things that I noticed is that your repertoire it's not easy to find on on, on no, on, I know, on I know, it's. It's something that's happening. You know, we're doing a new um, a CD with Baltimore Symphony um, that'll come out. That's got a piece called "The City," and my oboe concerto, and also a marimba concerto from a long time ago, which um, I'm uh, revising a little bit. Um, but yeah, so yes, things are being recorded. Um, and there's a new recording, um, a, a piece called "Silent Night Elegy," which is an orchestral suite based on "Silent Night." Um, wow that will come out um, soon. And also a recording of Silent Night will be coming out too. So wow. it's, there's a lot of stuff happening, but it's, it seems kind of slow for some reason. And, you know, but. Uh, no, no, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a job in itself to, to, you know, to supervise and produce yeah. well done recordings of orchestral music. It's, it's really it's hard. Kind of, it's yeah. well, it's hard and it's expensive too. You know, if it's yes. a, if orchestral music is, is, it's hard to record uh, unless you're recording concerts and then, you know, sort of working from that, which is how things are really done these days. And how did you live in this last, over the last year? I mean, without any public performances with, so how, how is the life of the composer? Yeah, it's been, it's been, you know, it's been a, obviously a challenge. And I think we're, the, the really interesting thing about it is that everyone in the world is, is going through the same experience. That's what's so maybe, it just feels unprecedented, um, yes. you know, to have everybody on the planet in the same situation. Um, I mean, creatively, you know, I've been working on this big opera based on the hours, um, Michael Cunningham book uh, for, for the Met, uh, the Met Opera. And it, uh, it's a huge project and it's obviously an extremely important commission and, uh, and it has to be, has to be finished. And so, you know, I had to work. And so it just had been a, like a, a a matter of finding a way to do that, you know, mm -hmm. to keep working, um, even though life can be, is so monotonous and it, there's no, um, I'm not stimulated by performances of my music or stimulated by performances of, of great music that already exists. Um, so how do you find a way to do it? And it's, it's been a challenge, but, you know, I'm continuing, I'm still, I'm working, working and I'm working on the opera and, uh, and other projects are, uh, you know, people are planning, you know, for the future, for when the, the moment when we'll, 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 we'll come back and yes. have orchestras and opera companies uh, as we're used to them. So um, I'm looking forward to that, to those moments as we all are. I mean, I feel actually very fortunate that as a composer, you know, I'm still, still able to do what I do um, over the last year. A lot, 
so many of my performer friends are really struggling and yes. um, it's been a really tough time yes yeah, absolutely it's, it's also because it's it's still unclear where when will be we will be able to to, to return safely and uh, to to concert hall to enjoy you know with a full audience i mean with the all the whole orchestra seated and, and things like that. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's still um, hard to, to, to predict where, when yeah. this moment it, will arrive. So, yes. And I think that's, what's been so challenging about it too, that you can, you know, I can work on this music and whether or not it's going to be performed as I imagine it, it seems so unpredictable. You know, it's like, you have to kind of believe that it will be, but it's hard to imagine right now, mm -hmm. you know, are yes. we really going to have like an entire, you know, Concert halls filled with people. Yeah, I can't imagine this. Mm. You know, you watch movies and you see people without masks on. You can't. Oh my God, what are they doing? Yes. You know. <laughs> yes. It's re it's re it's really this way. I mean, it's oh. it's hard. It will be, a, I guess, a long and slow process of of returning to a, a new kind of normalcy. Probably there are, there will be things that will be very hard. Will be will return really like before. But it, it will be slow and probably when we all will feel much more easier and safer, especially. Yeah. Uh, it, it, we will so. get there, I, I'm, I'm sure. I think we'll get there, Kevin, I, I really want to thank you for your generosity in doing this. It's uh, it's been such a pleasure for me to have you uh, as my guest on the on the show, and so thank you very much for your time and generosity. It's been fun to talk to you. Thanks for all your questions. I, I really do appreciate being included in this. So. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Okay. Stay bye well. bye. Bye bye. Thanks to Kevin Hoods for his time and generosity. Visit thelegacyofjohnwilliams.com for more articles and interviews. Thank you for listening. Until the next episode of The Legacy of John Williams Podcast.